0: scripture reading this morning comes from Second Peter one 2-4. two four. Second Peter one two through four. Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through godly life through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. Through through these He has given us His very great and precious promises. So that though them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by the, by evil desires. Follow the leader. It's a game that, as a young age, it's one, probably one of the earliest games that we teach our children. Uh, when they're little, three, four years old, preschool age, we begin to teach them this game of follow the leader because it makes perfect sense, right? When we teach them to follow the leader, it's something that they're going to take with them in life, and honestly, it makes our lives a lot easier if you're teaching three- and four-year-olds to teach them how to look in front of them and follow who's in front. And so this is basic principle that the person that is the leader when you're in elementary school, when you're in preschool, they change back and forth. That This person that's in front is who you're looking up, that you're looking toward to follow and I think this is a beautiful thing yeah I think we've taught it really well because our kids end up getting this and and they follow through with it and it's something that they take with them I think we've done a really good job of teaching our kids to follow the leader we've done a poor job of teaching who the leader is uh, and I'm not talking about just with our kids I'm talking about with ourselves sometimes that I think we've taken this same basic principle that we learn when we're little kids of follow whoever is in front, and that's kind of the way we still do it. We, we kind of just, when it comes to what we're doing in life, when it comes to where we're going, we have a bad habit of not truly following the leader, but following kind of whatever is in front of us at that time. And, and when it's the right thing, that's great, and that's good, and it's wonderful but then it's not always that our priorities are in line. You think about, we've had a lot of kids that just got back on Friday. If you've ever been on a short-term mission trip, you can kind of get this, because we've all said the same thing when we come back from a short-term mission trip. We've said, why can't life always be this way? Why, Why can't life always be this way? Why can't I always be this on fire for God? Why can't I always want to do these kind of things? I wish it was always like this. You see, it's pretty simple, the right things in front of us. When when you're on those trips, there's not anything else distracting you. There's not anything else bothering you. You have a clear definition of who the leader is, and it's pretty easy to follow. If you know me very well at all yet, you know that I'm a huge Tennessee fan, and so it's been kind of a rough weekend for me. I almost called in sick, uh, but I didn't. I fought through after that horrible, horrible horrible call uh, but in the post game if you know Tennessee basketball at all um, we have a player that's a junior named Jarnell Stokes and Stokes is one of those guys that you have every year on a team that's good and deserves to be in the lead I'm sorry I'm sorry uh, you have a team that's good you have these guys who are having to make a decision when they're sophomores juniors if they're going to leave and go to the NBA or if they're going to stay and come back for another year and so no harm on the journalists. They have to ask that question, even though it's right after this loss. But John L. Stokes, when he was asked that question in an interview after the game, he said, I don't understand how guys can declare for the draft right after the loss that ends their season. Did they even care about what they were doing? And I think about that principle that goes over into our life and our faith so much. Do we truly see ourselves as followers of Christ? Or were we able to just kind of switch back and forth, change our mind, make that decision with kind of a, without a second thought? Jesus calls us, when we follow Jesus, he invites us to die. When we follow Jesus, he invites us to die. And that can sound kind of morbid, uh, but it's not. If you understand the context, you understand what I'm saying at all, you understand that it's not morbid at all, it's a beautiful thing that when Jesus calls us, as Bonhoeffer said, when Jesus calls a man, he bids him come die. In Matthew chapter 16, Matthew chapter 16, in verse 24, Matthew 16 in verse 24, Jesus has just had kind of an argument with Peter, and he says, he said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny himself, must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain their whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? So after this conversation he's had with Peter, when Peter not understanding what he was about to do, not understanding where he was about to go. He looks at not just Peter. Peter, Peter I think, specifically, but all the disciples. And he says, whoever wants to follow me, it has to start with self-denial, taking up your cross, and then follow me. This first part, he says, deny yourself. That's probably an easy thing to say, but one of the hardest facets of Christianity. Because we live a life that thinks mostly about ourself. First thing when we wake up, we think about, what am I going to eat for breakfast? You start to get ready in the morning, you think, what am I going to wear to church? You're right now getting a little hungry again, you think, what am I gonna eat for lunch? We kind of live in this self-absorbed lifestyle so much of the time, so it's really hard for us to get this concept of self-denial of being able to put ourselves last when we say that jesus bids us come die notice the next part he says take up your cross at a point where the disciples wouldn't have fully grasped most of them if not all of them what he was talking about as a whole but they knew what it meant to take up your cross they knew exactly what it meant They might not have fully got what was going to happen, but they knew exactly what taking up your cross meant. Jesus wasn't going to sugarcoat it. He says, take up your cross, and then you can follow me. And in case they didn't fully get it, in case it didn't make perfect sense, he says after that, whoever finds their life is going to lose it, and whoever loses their life for my sake is going to find it. See what Jesus was trying to get at? What he's trying to make them see clearly and trying to help us to see clearly? When it comes to following him, yes, he's inviting us to come and die. But he's inviting us to come die so that we can finally start to truly live. Jesus invites us to come die. And Jesus is honest about what following him means. He's honest about what following him means. In Luke chapter 9, if you'd like to turn over there, Luke chapter 9. And starting in verse 57. Jesus is walking down the road, and he's approached by a man. And it says in verse 57, As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, Foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He said to another man, Follow me. But he replied, Lord, first let me go bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury the dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I'll follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, no one who puts the hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. I'll follow you wherever. I'll follow you wherever you go. Think about this as, as a minister. We think about this as other Christians. Somebody comes up to us right now. They say, Hey, I've heard about Jesus. I've heard about the great things he did. I'll follow him wherever. This is a great opening line. This sounds like the most devoted person. This sounds like somebody you absolutely want to come to Christ. But Christ never was fake about what following him means he was absolutely honest when approached by people who wanted to follow him he was honest about what they were getting into he says this man first foxes have holes birds have nests i don't have a place to lay my head at night he's saying we're not going to be staying at the hiltons and the marriotts not even the Pope motel we're going to be staying wherever we can find a place to lay our head on the ground sometimes in other words this isn't always going to be easy. See, Jesus had a little bit of celebrity status starting to develop at this time. So there have been a lot of people who would approach Jesus to follow him because it sounds like something is going to be really appealing and kind of be part of Jesus' entourage to follow after him. And Jesus saying, hey, this isn't always going to be easy. This isn't always going to be perfect what we're going to do. You're going to give up, sacrifice some comforts. And he also says your definition of what's first is going to change. So this has always been a hard passage for me to read because we read through this and we're like, okay, go back and bury your father. God said to honor your father and mother. Uh, and we're saying this is a bad thing? No. He's saying this is an excuse. And if we're making excuses now, we're going to constantly make excuses. And if we're going to constantly make excuses, we're not really ready to follow Jesus. And you're going to be giving up some of the comforts, and you're going to also be giving up some of the things that you found as first and most important in this life before. And I love the way he ends this conversation, this passage. He says, I've got to go back and say goodbye to my family. And for us, if you have especially a close family here, a close family on this earth, you get this. At this time, they didn't have text, they didn't have Twitter, they didn't have this ability to go and stay in in contact with them constantly. So I, say, I just want to say goodbye. I just want to go back and let them know that I'm leaving. And Jesus says, nobody who puts their hand to the plow and looks back is worthy. You don't lose focus. If you're going to follow me, it means you're all in and that you're all forward. See, and we have this bad habit of living life in reverse. We look back. We, we constantly look back. I guarantee this past week you've had conversations that were looking back and that were stuck in the past instead of constantly pressing forward. Following Jesus is constantly moving forward. It's a call to be all in. Jesus loves us enough when he calls us to follow us to tell us our one thing. He loves us enough to tell us our one thing. In Mark chapter 10, in verse 17, Mark chapter 10, in verse 17, we meet probably um, one of the more sad stories that we read in the Bible, one of the more sad instances of Jesus' interaction. He meets the rich young ruler In verse 17, it says, As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees and said, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Great start. Great start. This man is so excited about Jesus. He runs up to him. He falls down on his knees and says, Good teacher. Jesus replies, Why do you call me good? The man knew why he was calling him good. He knew he was God. And Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. You can almost picture this conversation. Uh, This conversation is going great. He runs up with such excitement and such humility that he falls on his knees. He truly wants to follow after Jesus. And then Jesus starts to list all these things. And the guy's like, I've got this in the bag. All these things I've kept from my youth. I've never struggled with these things. We're good. And then something sticks out to me. In the next verse it says, Jesus looked at him and loved him one thing you lack. Go, sell everything you have, give to the poor, and you have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. At this the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. He looked at him and he loved him. Jesus didn't just tell us that the greatest commandment was to love the Lord our God with all our heart, and the second is like it, to love our neighbor as ourself, he lived it. When he looked at this man, he didn't look at him angrily, because he knew his heart. He didn't look at him with this predecision of disappointment. He didn't look at him with this judgmental attitude. He looked at him, and he loved him. He loved him. It broke our Savior's heart, what he was about to say. But he loved him enough to say it. He loved him enough to say that there's one thing you lack. In other words, there's one thing, and he's not calling him to perfection. What he's saying is there's one thing in your life that is going to keep you from following after me. And we have to get rid of it if we're going to change that. That has to be gone from your life. If we're going to change that. And he looks at us in the same way. And he loves us in the same way. Enough to look at us and say. If there's one thing in your life. And maybe do some self-evaluation. If there's one thing in your life. That's keeping you from truly following after Jesus. Do whatever it takes. Whatever it takes. To get it out of your life. So we look at this man. And like I said before. It's sad. We were kind of heartbroken at his reaction. that he, he looks like a guy who has it all together, a guy who's approaching Jesus ready to make this commitment, and then he goes away sorrowful because he has a lot of stuff, because he has this one thing that he's not willing to sacrifice for the Savior. At least he goes away upset about it. See, so I think sometimes for us, we hear the same message to us. We hear this message of, I've got something in my life that I have to get rid of. I've got something in my life that is separating me from the Savior, something that I truly, if I'm honest with myself, I put before God. It's truly my leader. It's truly what I follow. And we hear this, whether in here or whether at home or whether when we're alone in our car, and we don't even get that upset about it. (laughs) We don't walk away sorrowful. Instead, we continue to fake like we're following Jesus. Instead of trying to get the thing out of our life that's keeping us from truly following after Him, we have to be willing to give up the one thing. We have to we walk out of here sometimes after hearing a message that convicts us with a smile on our face and a huge hole in our faith. It's got to stop. We can't walk out and just fake it. We can't feel this need to fake it. We have to start fixing it if we're going to be true followers of Christ. Jesus invites the people who don't make sense, and they come. These first three points, they're they're kind of tough. Uh, These are tough things in our life. Uh, These are tough challenges that Jesus issues us of following him. But following him is something that's so beautiful and don't lose that. It's something that's so perfect. Don't lose that and distraction of some of these things are hard because they are hard. We shouldn't gloss over that. But the, Jesus invites people who don't make sense and they come. In Matthew chapter 9 and verse 9, Jesus meets Matthew. And it says as Jesus went on from there. He saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. And you remember what he says again? Follow me. He told him, and Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, It is not the healthy who need the doctor, but the sick. Think about the difference in these two guys. The difference in these two guys. When we hear about the rich young ruler... I think it can be extremely discouraging. Honestly, it can be extremely discouraging. Because we see this guy and he lists his makes his list of credentials and we say, This is the A-team Christian. This is the guy who, if we were doing a draft on who's going to be on our Christian team, we're picking this guy. When he starts to list the things that he has together in his life, he has them all. And he goes away upset because he can't really follow Jesus. And then we meet this guy. We meet Matthew, a tax collector, an open sinner, a hated man because of his profession and what he stood for. And Jesus says the same invitation, follow me. And he gets up and goes. So I want to encourage you because in the same way it can be really discouraging to look at all the things that the rich young ruler has together in his life and that he couldn't follow Jesus, Think about all the people that were absolutely broken, absolutely broken, so far from God that when Jesus offered the invitation, they got up and they followed him. It's not always about what's going on out here. It's about what's going on in here. Jesus invites everyone, and he calls us to do the same. Think about these. If you look back, and maybe some of you have a lot of pride in your Christian lineage, Uh, maybe you've done some research on it, you've looked back and and tried to track who your grandfather was, who the first person that was a Christian in your family was, and we can take a lot of pride in this, and my grandfather was so-and-so, and and my grandmother was so-and-so, and and they were a great Christian example. I promise, if you look back far enough in your Christian lineage, at some point, there was a Matthew. Matthew. At some point, there was a scrub. There was somebody who, when we looked at them, we probably wouldn't think to invite. There was somebody who, when we looked at them, we wouldn't think that they would want to receive the invitation of Christ. And somebody loved somebody in your lineage. It may not be related to you. It may be somebody who reached out to your grandpa, reached out to your grandma. Somebody loved them enough and got this enough that they looked at them and said, You can follow Jesus. You can follow him. And they gave them the invitation. Jesus shows the opposite in our life. It's not always the people who we expect to accept the invitation. Sometimes it's the people who expect to turn it down. And that's why we as Christians, if you're a follower of Christ, we open up that invitation and we invite other people to follow after. Following Jesus offers freedom and peace it offers freedom and peace. We, we can look at this and we can get a little bit bogged down because it can seem so overwhelming, but that 's the exact opposite of what Christ wanted it to feel like. He wanted us to understand what real freedom and what real peace meant. In Matthew chapter eleven in verse twenty eight he says, "Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart." You will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy, my burden is light. There's real sacrifice and real peace found in following Christ. Real sacrifice and real peace in following Christ. I love the way the message says it. He says, learn, the un- learn to live in the unforced rhythms of grace. The unforced rhythms of grace. We struggle with this. We, we struggle because a lot of times, and maybe this morning is an example for you, we force it. We, we force our faith. And we have to get to a point that it's not forced anymore. God doesn't want it to be forced. It should be this unforced rhythm of his grace. He's saying this is a different kind of yoke. This is a different kind of yoke that I'm putting on you. It's one that's easy. And light, because when we picture this, we picture as heavy, as something that weighs us down, as something that we struggle to carry. And He's saying, Mine is different. And it's different because you're going to walk with me. It's different because I'm taking the weight off of you, because I'm carrying you along with me. All these things are hard. All these things are challenging when we do them without Christ. But when we take Christ on, truly following Him, isn't forced, it's free. It's not forced, it's being freed by Christ. Following Jesus is not a one-time thing. We're compelled to keep going. Following Jesus is not a one-time thing. We're compelled to keep going. In Acts chapter 20, if you'd like to turn over there, Acts chapter 20, in verse 22. And now, compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying the good news of God's grace. I'm not going. I'm not going. I'm going not knowing but I know it's going to be tough. I'm going not knowing, is what Paul's saying here, but I know it's not going to be easy. Have you ever felt compelled by something? Compelled by God? That's what Paul's describing. He's saying, I'm compelled by the Spirit to go. I'm compelled by the Spirit to go. It's kind of this description, like the Holy Spirit has tied him up and is pulling him along. In other words, I don't have an option. This isn't a question of if I'm going to go. This this is just I'm going. It's just a stated fact that I'm going. Have you ever felt compelled maybe to go or to do something and we fight it off? It would be hard to go not knowing everything that was going to happen. You know, we, we kind of do the opposite. When we're making a big life decision, everybody in here lays the facts out. We, we put things out on paper. We discuss them with our spouse. We talk about these, and we make a logical decision. Paul's saying, I don't really know what's going to happen. Maybe God doesn't give us all the details because if he gave us all the details, maybe we wouldn't go. Maybe we wouldn't do, and that would be the absolute worst decision of our life. Maybe we're feeling this compulsion, we've been praying, we've been asking, we've been searching, and we don't know everything, sometimes we get this feeling of something bad that we know is going to be hard, and we right away, what do we do? We take and we put that prayer in the no. And we we pray about something, and we know this is a big deal. This is going to be a big change in my life. And we pray, and we pray, and we pray. And as we do our research, and as we look at it, we know that there's going to be a lot of tough things that are approaching. And so what do we do? We immediately take that and put it in the no category. This is God saying, this isn't for me. This is God directing me away from this decision. That's not always the case. Paul right here is saying, I'm compelled by the Spirit and I know it's going to be tough. I'm compelled by the Spirit, and I know, I don't know exactly what's going to happen, but I know this is going to be a tough journey, but I know it's the right journey. Maybe you've prayed about something, and you put it over here in the no category just because it was going to be tough, and God wanted the absolute opposite. So maybe we know that things are going to be tough ahead of time because that's our challenge to whether we're going to be actually committed. Because if when you're sitting and you're thinking about, say right now, maybe some of you are thinking about making a big life decision. And when it scares you enough to step away just from the thought of something bad happens, you're not ready to truly jump in. Because what's going to happen when something really does happen? What's going to happen when things don't go perfectly because they're not always going to? When things do get tough, we have to know that I'm going either way. Why? Because I'm compelled to. In other words, I don't have a choice. I have got to go. I like the way Craig Rochelle puts it. He says, to step towards your destiny, you have to step away from your security. To step towards your destiny, you have to step away From your security. And that's hard. Sometimes I'd even flip it further. To step toward. Leaning on our God. To step toward. God being our true security. We have to step away from whatever else we're depending on. We have to go away from what we've been standing on. Following Jesus sometimes calls us for stepping away from our definition of security. Stepping toward the peaceful uncertainty that is faith in God. Peaceful uncertainty. Faith in God isn't easy Uh, may not know exactly where you're going but if you know you're following him, if you know God's with you there can be this peace that's stepping away from all those other things that give you peace a peace that's real a peace that's lasting, a peace that's not going away See, so Jesus got this when he was sending out the apostles when he was about to ascend. He says, go into all the world and make disciples of every nation. And he says this, lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the earth. I'm with you. It's really hard to follow someone who's not with you. I think that's our problem sometimes, that we're trying to follow a Jesus that we're not really with. We're trying to follow a Jesus that we don't really see standing in front of us. He is with you always. The more I read this, the more I worked on this lesson, Uh, I kind of realized as I was going along that I could have really stuck with Peter the whole time. It's a really beautiful thing when you start to get into a study like this and you start to see different things in the scripture. And if Peter had a tattoo on his arm, it would say, follow me. Because Peter had all these conversations over and over again with Jesus. You remember the way he meets Jesus in Matthew 4? Jesus sees him fishing and he says, come, follow me. And and Peter leaves his old stuff behind and he follows him. A little bit later in Mark 10, that story we just read of the rich young ruler on the other side and Peter saying to Jesus at the end of this when they're having this conversation Jesus follows it up. You remember the rich young ruler, he says, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter heaven. But don't worry, with God all things are possible. And you remember what Peter does? He looks at him and he says, we gave up everything to follow you. We gave up everything to follow you. Peter got this following concept. In Matthew 16, the other passage we started with, when you look back one verse, Jesus says to Peter, get behind me, Satan. Now, it's one of the, you know, we look at where Peter goes in life from this moment, from all of his failures, all of his times he falls. Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. Hit me with this passage, and he goes into this conversation where he says, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me, is that Peter wasn't behind him, you can't follow from the front, and I think that's what we try to do most of the time, when it comes to we would say, I'm a follower of Christ, but really, I want my Christ to follow me, We say we're following Christ, but we want Jesus to follow us on our life. And really what it is, is I'm going to choose my path, and I'm going to go here, and I'm going to go there. And I want Jesus to come along with me. And we do the exact opposite of what Jesus invited us to do. He said, follow me. You can't follow Jesus when you're not behind him. You can't follow Jesus from the front. We want Jesus to follow us on our life instead of truly giving Jesus our lives. If we're going to follow him, we have to get behind him. And then in Matthew 26. Matthew 26, we have Jesus' Last Supper. And he's with the apostles. And he says to them, you're all going to abandon me. You're all going to leave me behind. And you remember, they all agree with it. But you know who steps up? It's Peter. Peter says, not me. Everybody else may leave you. But I am with you To the end, I will follow you to death. And then Jesus predicts Peter's imminent denial that's going to come. So Peter boldly says, Hey, Jesus, everybody else may leave you when it comes to the cross. I'm following you, I'm with you. And then Jesus gets separated, and it says, All the disciples scattered, but Peter. And this is verse 58. Followed from a distance. All the disciples scattered. Peter followed from a distance. It's kind of interesting. Peter was the last one following from a distance. I wonder if that's our definition most of the time. When we say, Jesus, I'm going to follow you, no matter what, do we end up really what we want is to just follow Jesus from a distance. Why? Because it's safer, it's easier. But when we follow Jesus from a distance, it's also a lot easier to deny. Him. It's so much easier to deny. Him. When we follow Jesus face to face, we stay with him. So this is the same Peter that in other account that just recently was ready to go to war when he was standing beside Jesus. Peter that that draws out the sword, ready to battle to stay with Jesus. I don't know about you, but in this time, in this picture, in this image, pulling out a sword and fighting a guy means you're ready to die. But Peter let himself get separated from Jesus. See, it's really easy, a lot easier. I think sometimes when we're right there, to follow. When we get a little bit of distance between us and Christ, it becomes easier and easier to fall away. My favorite part of this, follow me, follow me, follow me, that's over and over again, is in John 21, when Jesus and Peter meet again. And it's this beautiful image of Jesus is on the shore and the disciples are out there fishing. And Peter sees him and we see what he does. He, he sees and, and, and the disciple who Jesus loves says it's Jesus on the shore and Peter puts on his clothes and jumps into the water and he starts to swim as hard as he can. The other guys are rowing and just kind of looking that's Peter. That's what Peter does. Peter wants to get back to Jesus so bad. So what we have to do is the same way. We struggle. We go back and forth. The same desire that Peter had that he would do anything to get back to Jesus. And he does this and he swims up on the shore and they eat this big feast from the catch that Jesus just provided. And then Jesus and Peter have the talk. This awkward, tough conversation. In verse 15 he says, when they finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, do you love me? Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you. When you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted, but when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. After everything. After everything in Peter's life, and this should be so, so encouraging for us, the back and forth, the following him, not following him, the leaving things behind and then struggling to truly follow. Jesus looks at him again this time, no glossing over, no making it easy. He says, Peter, this is going to be how you die. Then he says one more thing to him. Follow me, <clears throat> follow me. Jesus invites him one last time to follow me. And we see this beautiful change in Acts in Peter's life, of him as a different person, as a true sold-out believer, full follower of God. Jesus issued a simple invitation over and over again in Scripture. Follow me. I think it's so beautiful, and it's one that still holds true today. As we said this morning, it's not always easy. It's not always perfect. It's not always this painted, beautiful picture of a life. But it is the best life we can have. It is a life that God wants us to have. And if you've accepted that invitation, it's a life you're called to give to others. It's an invitation that was Jesus constantly gave to follow him. And it's an invitation that we still give constantly today. If you're here this morning and you haven't ever followed Christ... You haven't ever truly followed Christ. If you need to put on Christ in baptism, we're here for you. We want to assist you in that. If you're here this morning and you pray in any way, we're here as a church family to do that together. If we can help you at all, would you come as we stand and sing?